So we're going to begin our time this morning with a few questions. And these aren't questions to answer out loud or to raise your hand over if you say yes or no. Uh, just listen to them and answer them in your mind. So, so we'll start here. Can you say that you love someone who cheers for a rival sports team? Might hit close to home after last night. <laughs> Can you say that you love someone who comes from a different culture than you? Can you say that you love someone who comes from a different socioeconomic background than you? Can you say that you love someone who doesn't speak the same language as you? Can you say that you love someone who voted differently than you did in the last election? Can you say that you love someone who has hurt you deeply in the past? Now, the goal of those questions isn't to, to shame us, but to get us to think about the people that we love and why that may be. Because we as humans can tend to allow the divisions that the world manufactures lead to prejudice in our own lives. And if that sin of prejudice is not repented of, it can even flow into how we treat one another as a faith family. And this morning, we're going to read about a time in the history of the church when prejudice and division existed. And it existed in the culture, and it crept into the church. But praise God, we're also going to read and see how the church and their love for one another broke down these cultural barriers that the world had set up and brought hard-to-reach people into the body of Christ. Because... And here's our sermon in a nutshell. When the love of God is displayed through the people of God, it leads the world to know that the gospel is true. When the love of God is displayed through the people of God, it leads the world to know that the gospel is true. First, we're going to see how the church's love was put to the test. And how was the church's love for one another tested? Let's take a look. In verse 1, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The church up to this point was growing at a rapid pace. What started with 12 apostles grew to a, a number in the tens of thousands. And even though they had endured persecution from the world, they continued to grow. However, now here in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the church has its first test of internal conflict. This conflict as, is described as a complaint by the Hellenists against the Hebrews. And while this is the first time that the term Hellenist appears in the Bible, Hellenism had been a part of Jewish society for over 300 years up to this point. Hellenism, briefly described, was a worldview introduced by the ancient Greeks that was diametrically opposed to the traditional Jewish way of life. And, and so Hellenism, and how to respond to it, was the hot-button issue of their day. The divisions and prejudices between Hellenists and Hebrews ended up dividing all of Jewish society. It divided their culture. 
It divided their politics. It even divided the language as Hellenism promoted speaking in Greek while Hebraism promoted speaking in Hebrew or Aramaic. One could tell whether someone was a Hellenist or not based on what language they spoke. It even divided the Jewish religion as synagogues from one town to another could be different simply based on whether someone was Hellenistic or Hebrew. Let me put that division of what it was like between Hellenists and Hebrews and some examples from our world today. You know, these don't fit perfectly, and you could probably think of some better ones, but it would look something like this. A complaint by the masked arose against the unmasked because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Or, a complaint by the Democrats arose against the Republicans because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This division between Hellenists and Hebrews had the same feel that many of our hot-button issues today do. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's the church in Jerusalem during the first century or a church in Loudoun, New Hampshire during the 21st century. Divisions that exist in the culture can lead to prejudice, even within the church. And in the case of the church in Jerusalem here in Acts 6, the Hebraic Jews are the ones showing prejudice to the Hellenists. And who's the ones that are being affected by this? The Hellenistic widows. Widows. Those who depend upon the body of Christ the most. And this complaint from the Hellenists started to spread among the whole church. Now, the Bible that I'm using this morning uses the word complaint, but some other versions use a word I think that better conveys what was a murmuring or a grumbling, as other versions put it. As if this prejudice showed by the Hebrews against the Hellenists wasn't bad enough, now gossip of, of it is spreading through the entire church. When the love of God is displayed through the people of God, it leads the world to know that the gospel is true. But what happens then when God's people don't display love towards one another, but instead show prejudice and sow division? How do you think the world responds to the gospel when those who claim to know and follow Jesus treat one another with prejudice? Jesus said, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Faith family, do you think that the message of the gospel comes across as genuine to the world when the church doesn't love one another? When we aren't united together, but instead show prejudice towards one another? This was a pivotal moment in the life of the church. What would the church do? Would the church be like the rest of the culture, showing prejudice to one another, and separate along these battle lines between Hellenists and Hebrews? Or would the Hebrews repent of their sin, and so that the love of God would be displayed in the church, and so that the church could move forward in love and unity, despite their cultural differences? Well, the gossip is spreading 
And the apostles are catching wind of this. And now let's see what the leaders of the church do. Next, we see a call to love and unity. And in this response to prejudice, the apostles call for the church to unify. The apostles called a meeting with the full number of disciples. And this would have been a difficult task, not just because the church was likely numbering in the tens of thousands by this time, but because there was division, there was sin, there was pain amongst the full number of disciples. And and notice that the apostles didn't call two separate meetings. They didn't call one for the Hebraic Jews and one for the Hellenistic Jews. They called for both parties, both of them, to come together in one place to be reunited. And notice what the apostles say during this meeting. It's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. One of the ways the early church showed their love for one another and to God was to care for each other's physical needs. In Acts chapter 4, just two chapters before this, the church sold their possessions, many in the church, possessions and land. And this wasn't done out of compulsion but out of love for God and for one another. And then those proceeds and those, of those sales were brought to the apostles, and the apostles distributed them to those who had need. And it doesn't clearly say whether the apostles were the ones directly handing these distributions to people, but they had oversight over it. And while it seems they were able to oversee this side of ministry at first, the rapid growth of the church put a strain on them. They couldn't both faithfully preach and teach the word of God and faithfully oversee the ministry of the daily distribution of tables. They were being stretched thin and something had to give. And so we see that the apostles realized they can't be faithful in both of these ministries. Preaching and teaching the word of God and and serving tables. And this isn't a case of elitism by the apostles that they thought somehow serving tables was beneath them. These men had their feet washed by Jesus. They saw that no task was too low for someone. But that serving the daily distribution was not a once and done thing. It was a daily task and it needed more oversight than they could give. So that the people of God could display the love of God, the apostles saw the need to delegate this responsibility. This is what they say next. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The apostles told this gathering of disciples, this full number of disciples, you all have been living with each other, ministering with one another, serving amongst one another. Look for seven men with these characteristics, good repute, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, And bring them before us, and we will commission them to the task of overseeing the daily distribution. This was an important responsibility, and the apostles gave it to the church to handpick these men. And as we're going to see in the next verse, this was a really, really good decision. But the apostles continued, We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And here we see these roles clearly defined. 
The apostles will devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, and these seven men will devote themselves to the ministry of the daily distribution. And these two roles, apostles who devoted themselves to the ministry of the word and the seven men who are appointed to the ministry of the tables and the daily distribution, would serve as the foundation from what would later be defined and refined in in the church as the offices of elders and of deacons. In a sense, the apostles served as the proto-elders to the church, and the seven men served as the first proto-deacons to the church. So, how does the church respond to this solution from the apostles? What's their response? In verses 5 and 6, we see their response. The church responds with love and unity. Notice what it says. And when they pleased, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. The church was not just pleased with this decision, but we can even see the church's repentant heart and who they selected to oversee the ministry. We often miss this point because when we see these names, these seven names, we just read over them, and they just seem names that are uncommon to us. Well, mostly, some of them are common to us. But these seven men, every single one of them has a Greek name. This is huge. It means that these seven men were likely all Hellenists. You have the apostles who were Hebrews, and these ones who were ministering the daily distribution, all likely Hellenists. The church was handed the responsibility from the apostles to choose seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and they not only did that, but they took it a step further. The Hebraic Jews realized that they were showing prejudice And in order to make sure that the Hellenistic widows were never neglected ever again, the church selected seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, who were all very likely Hellenistic themselves. And these, verse 6, they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This act of prayer and laying on the hands in the Old Testament is one of commissioning and giving authority for a specific task. And by doing this, the apostles were commissioning the seven for the task at hand and showing the entire congregation that these seven men have the authority of the apostles to carry out this task of distributing the daily distribution. Like how we called up and prayed over the deacons for the task of serving our church through meeting physical needs, the early church in Jerusalem called up these seven men and prayed over their ministry, showing the authority that they had been given and asking for God to bless their service. The prejudice of the culture around them would not divide the church. The apostles called for unity, and how did the church respond? With love for one another. 
And because the church responded to this problem with love and with unity, rather than further division and further prejudice, like the culture, the world around them took notice. Because when the love of God is displayed through the people of God, it leads the world to know that the gospel is true. And here we see that the love of the church calls people to Jesus. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The world watched to see how the church would respond to this prejudice that emerged in the body, and what it saw confounded them. This prejudice that divided nearly every other aspect of Jewish culture did not divide the church. Where the world divided, the church united. This love and unity in the face of prejudice caused the church to grow like never before. If you notice, our passage began this morning with the church increasing in number, and it ends with the church multiplying greatly. The conclusion of our passage doesn't just describe how the church grew like never before after responding with love and unity, but it also shows that a group of individuals who was once persecuting the church now becomes part of the church. Listen to this amazing statement. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That is incredible. If you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 6, just flip back a page or two to the beginning of the fourth chapter of Acts. Acts 4, verse 1. And it says this, And they were speaking, and as they were speaking, these are some of the apostles, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Just two chapters before, the priests were part of the group who was physically persecuting the church. And now in chapter 6, we read how a great many of the priests became part of the church. They went from persecutors to brothers in Christ. What changed them? What caused this dramatic shift in heart for many of these priests? Now, one of the crazy aspects of this division between Hellenists and Hebrews is that by this time in history, many of the priests were Hellenistic themselves. Many of the priests were Hellenistic themselves. So the priests who were persecuting the church were closely watching the church. And they must have heard of these murmurs, these grumblings, this gossip that was welling up in the church of this prejudice that was happening to the Hellenistic widows that the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And they must have thought, see, those Jesus followers, they're, they're just like everyone else. They're just like the rest of us. They preach love and unity, but they don't live it out. And they must have heard then how the church repented, 
They must have heard how the Hellenistic widows were no longer neglected in the daily distribution and how the church put seven Hellenists in charge of the daily distribution to ensure that this prejudice would never arise again. When the priests saw the love of God displayed through the people of God, it led them to know that the gospel is true. They must have thought, wow, look at those Jesus followers. Look at how they love one another. And their love for one another is greater than the prejudicial divisions between Hellenists and Hebrews. We haven't seen this kind of love anywhere. This Jesus, he must really be the Messiah. We want to be a part of this. Faith family, this is a beautiful thing. The family of God transcends who we think can be a part of it. Just pause and and think with me for a moment. Think of someone that you have assumed could never trust in Jesus. Maybe it's an antagonistic political figure. Maybe it's an outright persecutor of the modern church. Maybe it's your atheist family member. Or maybe it's your prodigal child. If God can use the love of his people to change the heart of those who persecute him, the priests, he can change the heart of the person that you are thinking of. And he can use the love and the unity that is displayed by the body of this church to do so. What an amazing, amazing God that we serve. Uses broken people like us to display his glory to the rest of the world. And I'm happy to say that as one of your elders, I haven't heard murmurings or or grumblings or see prejudice and division in our faith family. (laughs) That is awesome to be able to tell you this morning. That is a privilege that not every pastor elder has. But that doesn't mean that it can't arise in the blink of an eye. The church in Jerusalem at the beginning of our passage was growing, and just as we're growing now, we are in the midst of this amazing season that God has us in where men and women are trusting in Jesus with their lives. But Satan's taking notice, and he doesn't like what we're doing. And we live in a culture that's not that different from the Jewish culture. It's a different place. It's a different time. There's different customs. But our culture is deeply divided and often prejudiced to one another. You don't have to go far to find this. And if we aren't abiding in the love of Jesus, and if we aren't being filled with his love, and that love then overflowing into one another, we can allow the divisions of the culture to creep into our faith family and then allow that to treat, allow us to treat one another, treat others of that opposite side of division with prejudice, dividing the faith family and making our faith ingenuine to the world. Faith family, will you join me in praying for love and unity in our body? That as God allows us to grow, that the divisions and prejudices in our society will not creep into our midst but that the love of Jesus will overflow in our lives and into one another 
so that as a faith family, then all of us collectively together as the body of Christ here in Loudoun, New Hampshire, can overflow into our Jerusalem and overflow into our world. Because when the love of God is displayed by the people of God, it leads the world to know that the gospel is true. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Jesus, I simply ask the question, would you consider it? Our sermon focused mostly on the call of the church to love one another, but this love that the church has from one another comes from God himself. John three sixteen. if you have been part of the church a long time or you haven't, this verse is very common. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love for us is displayed in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said this, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And then the very next day, Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross, demonstrating his love to the world. He took my sin. He took your sin upon the cross. He died for them, fully satisfying God's just demands for sin, making us righteous if we trust in him. And if you desire not just to know about this love that I described, not just to hear it, but to experience this love for yourself through trusting in Jesus, would you please not leave this building today without talking to one of us? You can talk to me You can talk to Pastor Josh, to Pastor Pat, any of our other elders, deacons, almost anyone beside you, and we would love to share what Jesus has done and how to trust in him with your life. But maybe you have further questions about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done. Why does Jesus matter? I'd invite you to come to the class tonight, Rediscovering Jesus. It starts at 6 p.m. here. Because we want everyone to experience the love of God, to have that love overflow into the people of God so that the world can see that the gospel is true. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. A God that is gracious and merciful, not just in giving of yourself to die on the cross, but giving us one another. Lord, that we get to love one another and care for one another as you would care for us. Lord, you didn't leave this world and that would leave your witness uh, alone, but you have sent us to be your hands and feet to magnify you and glorify you to this broken world that needs you. Lord, would we not be like the rest of the world falling alongside lines of division, showing prejudice. But Lord, would we see and magnify and glorify in the fact that you desire people from every tribe and tongue and nation, from every political party, from every division that this world sets up to be part of your family. And one day we will get to praise you face to face. But Lord, as your kingdom here on earth May we love one another as you have loved us so that the world may know 
that you are who you say you are. And we pray to this end in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.